everyone, I'm Jess and I'm hosting today's podcast episode with Dr. Lassith Ranasinghe, who is an academic foundation doctor based in London and the founder of a charity called Make a Medic that we're really excited to hear more about in today's episode. He's a bit of a whiz, um, having made a lot of prizes for academic excellence at medical school and is really interested in medical education. So Make a Medic creates high quality medical educational resources for students and uses the funds raised to support medical education and public health initiatives and low and middle income countries. So thank you so much for joining us today, Lassith. Thank you very much for having me. So let's get stuck in. Please, could you tell us a little bit more about your career journey so far and really what inspired you to set up Make a Medic? Uh, sure. So just a little background about myself. I grew up in, in Norfolk and then I went to med school at Imperial from 2014 to 2020. Um, since then, I've been working as a junior doctor in London. And uh, Make a Medic was something that, um, to be honest, didn't really come about by intelligent design. It was all just a series of quite bizarre sort of happenstances, really, that led to it developing. So um, when I was younger, I had some vague interest in sort of charitable initiatives. And um, I used to collect money at school to um, fund some, uh, to support some orphanages and schools in Sri Lanka, where, where I'm originally from. Um, so I had that kind of interest from a relatively young age going through into medical school. And then it was whilst I was in medical school that I developed an interest in medical education. And I was lucky to go to Imperial, where there's a really well-established peer-to-peer medical education network. And there were plenty of opportunities to do tutorials, lectures, uh, small group teaching, all sorts, really. And it, it turned out to be something I was very passionate about and very interested in. So eventually those two things sort of got married together and Make a Medic formed where I could sort of do something I really love, which is the teaching side of things, create my own resources and deliver them to students and then use funds raised to do something else that I really love, which is a sort of development initiatives really in low and middle income countries. So that's kind of the overview of how it happened, but but it wasn't quite as slick as, as me just having a little fun penny dropping moment where I realized that those two things had worked together in unison. It was quite a lot of sort of, you know, little bits and pieces in between that led to it, uh, it, it becoming what it is today. Well, it sounds like you kind of created your dream role for you. <laughs> always nice. Um, so you mentioned you kind of started it maybe during medical school. So how did you make that transition from kind of like a student society or organization where you're working with your peers to more of this social enterprise? business sure so um so initially the way that it actually started was quite strange essentially i got like a linkedin message from a couple of dentists who had been running an organization called make a dentist which which i don't think flows quite as easily off the tongue as make a medic does but still they did some amazing stuff they ran some really um big events where they raise funds and use it to send various dental equipment to other countries and i thought it was a really nice principle um, and they just approached me quite randomly, really. They'd, I think they'd heard about me through LinkedIn or whatever, and they messaged and said, uh, let's have a meeting, let's just discuss, make a medic as a, as a potential idea. And uh, they sort of just, at the time, they were expecting it to take very much the same path and make a dentist had taken, where we ran sort of big events, so like black tie events and things like that, and use those as fundraisers. Um, and to begin with, I was like, you know what, I'm in fifth year, I've got some time, why not, like, seemed fairly low intensity and to be honest at the time I didn't have uh, particularly big ambitions for Make a Medic at the time and uh, they gave me sort of the building blocks to get started you know they created like a, a fairly well structured Google folder uh, gave me like a basic website and stuff and just gave me like a sort of a startup package essentially is how I describe it 
Um, and to be honest, in the first year, it was very much just a fairly haphazard bunch of events and initiatives that I, that I ran because it was, you know, you know, like any student society, it's a little bit ragtag. It's not particularly cohesive all the time. And uh, I just got my friends involved. We did a pub quiz, raised like 500 pounds and sent some uh, textbooks over to a medical school in Sri Lanka. And that was, to be honest, that was kind of it for the time being. I didn't really think much more about it. Um, and in fact, it was sort of when COVID struck that Maker Medics started to gain some momentum, really. Um, I think primarily, to be honest, because I had so much more time on my hands. Like I was working, but I'd come back home from work and I wouldn't be seeing friends. I wouldn't be going to the gym. I wouldn't be doing anything, really. I mean, all of us have been through that. And it meant that I actually had quite a lot of time to think about what could I do with my time. And it just so happened that um, at that time when essentially the world was being turned upside down, some of the med students in the year below me got in touch saying, we're a bit worried about our exams because they are still going to be happening. Our, our medical education, our sort of formal medical education has been quite significantly disrupted. Is there any way that you can help? And it's at that point that I started sort of creating quite a few of my own resources, like videos and various slide decks and things like that. Um, so that's what I mean by it wasn't really by intelligent design. It was just a lot of sort of key moments that happened quite by chance, really, that led to uh, Make a Medic developing this idea of creating resources, selling them at an affordable price, and then reinvesting that in medical education and public health in low and middle income countries. Yeah, it sounds like it was a, a series of steps that just uh, kind of fell into yeah, place. Yeah, fell into place. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so why did you decide to create the modules yourself? So you mentioned you had some more time during the pandemic, but did you consider like reaching out to formal educational institutions or agencies or big companies in the industry who do this kind of medical education? Sure, that's a good question. To be honest, um, a large part of it is just because I really love doing it myself. So um, I always felt that um, I'm sure medical students who are listening to this will, will, will re this will resonate with them. There's been plenty of times when we've been sat in a lecture hall and there's been some sort of concept, which is probably going to be quite important for us to learn in the long run, being presented to us in a very sort of convoluted and confusing or the opposite, very boring way on the slides where it's just, you know, reams and reams of text, some abstract images that we can't make sense of. And the information isn't communicated particularly well. Um, so I always felt like there was this big gap in terms of basically to do a slide design and, and delivery of information that, that was really lacking in medical education. And I wanted to try and sort of engineer something that works a bit better myself. So um, a lot of people have said now that they've got a bit more exposure to make a medic content that they can sort of identify our brand identity. They'll see a slide and they'll be like, oh, that's make a medic, even even without the logo or anything being around. Um, so that's the kind of thing I was going for is I wanted to simplify medicine. I wanted to break it down to basics and try and bridge the gap between preclinical content and the clinical stuff that becomes relevant when they start working. Um, so I quite liked the sort of idea of having that in my own hands, really, and being able to do it in whatever way I liked. And that's something I still enjoy today. So, I mean, even though the team has changed, I've got a lot of great people on board who help me with loads of different aspects of Make Medic. I still um, am the sort of main person involved in developing the content because it's something I really enjoy. Um, and I think it's also just nice to have sort of consistent style throughout the content that we deliver as well. Um, so, yeah, so to, to be honest, it was primarily out of enjoyment. And secondly, from a sort of more practical aspect, um, there's hundreds and hundreds of sort of medical startups because I feel like med students nowadays are far more sort of entrepreneurial than they used to be. And there's plenty of people who tr try to create startups. And um, to be totally honest, that's a lot of the time it doesn't necessarily work out for a number of reasons. 
and hence people's uh, willingness, so established organizations' willingness to get involved with startups um, is a little bit sort of reluctant and a bit cynical, really, understandably, because they know that many of these will sort of fall flat in their face. So I felt like I didn't really have much credibility at the start to reach out to any well-established meded providers who may be able to provide content for us. So, so I didn't even, to be honest, it didn't even cross my mind, but that's another hurdle I would have had to overcome if I were to try and reach out to other organizations. But yeah, overall, it was mainly just, I like creating meded content. And were there any other kind of hurdles or challenges that you faced? And how did you go about kind of, once you decided what your identity was gonna be, turn that into kind of a money maker for lack of better words like how did you yeah. actually turn that into a profitable business sure good good question so I'd, I'd say some of the main hurdles to be honest is kind of related to the first question you asked about transitioning from a student society into something more serious as a registered charity um so initially in terms of my sort of recruitment at the time when we started it was much more a case of just me asking my friends posting a whatsapp chat it was a very open invitation and when you start like that it becomes fairly sort of it becomes like the exclusivity is lost in it really and people aren't particularly attached to make a medic in those founding stages it's just something that they can sort of you know mention in their cvs not much more than that there isn't that much commitment and drive and um, so it got to a stage where make a medic was growing i needed a lot more sort of input and commitment from people to you know fulfill their roles and take some things off my hands and actually get get this progressing and keep a pace with our growth um, and sometimes that just wasn't necessarily met so for, for a number of reasons. I'm not, I'm not necessarily criticizing anyone. It's just that people initially signed up to help a student society and then it became something that had higher demands, which they weren't um, capable of meeting at the time just because of other commitments. So there was a, a sort of tricky period where I had to really think hard about who do I want to keep and make a medic going forwards and who do I need to sort of let go of. And obviously, given that I recruited most of my friends initially, that was a bit of a uh, tense situation, but I mean, all of them are very understanding about it. So I'd say that was one big hurdle. Um, the second is just um, dealing with sort of being um, basically trying to be taken seriously at, a, at, a, at an early stage is quite difficult because of what I mentioned earlier about how a lot of organizations are a bit skeptical of startups for, for good reason. Um, and it becomes a bit frustrating when people are not particularly keen to help you early on, but then as soon as they see that you're gaining some traction, they're growing, then they suddenly want to jump on the bandwagon. And it, it does make you feel a little bit kind of um, bitter about the whole thing, because you were like, oh, why, why weren't you there in the early stages when your input could have really helped us? Um, but I mean, that's another sort of thing you have to kind of deal with, I think, uh, in the startup world. So I'd say those were the two biggest hurdles that we, that we had to overcome. And did you have any kind of mentors, coaches, experts, advisory board to kind of help you take the next step? No, absolutely not. I just had YouTube basically and a lot of articles, a lot of books. Um, so I did do, uh, I like doing my background reading really because at the moment I feel like, I mean, I, I'm fortunate enough to, you know, like have enough time and money to be able to access this wealth of resources that is available literally at our fingertips and we can learn about basically anything much easier than anyone could like 10 years ago even or 20 years ago um so i tried to try and like build up my understanding of things that i previously had no understanding of uh, like marketing and you know how how sales works and, and all of that kind of stuff which i'm completely oblivious to i, I appreciate i'm on a, on a business healthcare podcast and i'm sure um everyone knows much more about this than i do 
Um, but I tried my best to basically try and trawl through resources and develop an understanding myself um, where possible. However, there were some things where I was just like, you know what, like, this is completely and utterly out of my remit. And for me to actually do a decent job of this would require far too much of a time investment and it would detract from everything else that I have to do in terms of generating the content. So, um, so that's when the recruitment sort of took place. Um, I tried to be far more selective. So it ended up being uh, an interview, so an application process, an interview process for me to actually sort of get an idea of what the person I was dealing with was actually like. Um, so that really worked wonders. So um, two people that really popped to mind that we recruited relatively recently um, are Alex, who's our social media manager. She was absolutely amazing at just organizing absolutely everything social media-wise and taking that out of my hands because I was definitely doing it incredibly inefficiently and not particularly tactfully either to gain maximum traction. And there was a very clear um, clear change in our trajectory on social media basically before and after Alex, which you can notice if you plot our um, followers and stuff. Um, and then Vikas was the other one that you, you guys have already um, 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 liaised with in the past. He's he went to med school in Cardiff and then went to business, Imperial Business School and did a master's uh, in marketing. And he, he knows this stuff absolutely inside out, has amazing ideas. And it was incredibly important for me to draw upon that expertise to actually make sense of this. Because uh, I think at the early stage, it becomes quite, e well, quite easy to slip into the trap of trying to do absolutely everything yourself because you don't necessarily trust the people who had previously been part of the committee and weren't necessarily producing the outputs that you desired. However, it comes to a point where once you go a little bit more, people are actually interested in what you're doing. They really do want to help and you get some amazing people coming forward. So that's one huge, um, huge sort of win in the Maker Medic group over the last year has been the recruitment of some incredibly high quality individuals who've really taken Maker Medic to another level. I think you're being quite modest. I think from what you just said, you showed some really good uh, founder qualities. One being like taking the time to understand and teach before you bring in external people, because then you'll know who is most helpful to bring in. Um, and the second is that self like introspection, like knowing what you were able to do or what was comfortably in your remit versus what you needed to recruit for. So I think that's, a, yeah. um, that's something that we learned in our MBA, like importance of analyzing your own strengths and weaknesses, to then identify which strengths you need to bring in through your recruitment rounds and then look for the right qualities in those people that complement your own. You don't want, as much as it's tempting to hire more of you because you think you're great and you're right, <laughs> that is not uh, what builds a successful company. So um, Exactly, yeah. I mean, everything you just said, like I, I never learned that formally by any means. I sort of just discovered that through a series of mistakes, basically. Um, but it is like, it does, it does make, so much sense like looking back in hindsight um just having like I, I think i sort of trivialized things like marketing and sales in my head i just thought like oh, i've got good i, I basically just thought like you know i've got really good content i like i, I know my content's good i've got yeah. feedback saying my content's good i'm sure it'll just sell itself and that was just me being pretty naive about the whole thing really and it's only once i got pretty sort of specialist expertise from someone like vikas who's got a background in marketing who actually explained to me how this works and applied the science to it really. And, and we've seen just such a boom since then because it, it actually makes me cringe thinking about what I did before these guys were around because it was just so like, so sort of amateurish and, and just, just chucking stuff out there in an aimless fashion. But, but we've, we've definitely come a long way and become far more targeted since then and we're um, fortunately reaping the benefits of it. Yeah, sounds great. Has building a team brought any other 
challenges though or other information gaps adaptation that you've had to do to amend to managing a group of people instead of being kind of on your own sure i'm i think so i think one thing that i realized um is that i mean the make a medic committee as it is now is relatively specialized in terms of everyone has a very specific niche um whereas before it was more just like a generic pool of people and that basically encourages social loafing and people didn't necessarily have much purpose to them but i i, I did I did find that once people had their specific niche, had their title, had their clear job description delineated for them, they actually took ownership of it and wanted to do a god good job at it. So that's one. That's another big thing that I learned really. Unfortunately, the people who are part of Make a Medic are are wonderful people who are really dedicated and really passionate about the underlying message of Make a Medic really. Because I actually recently read a book, which I'm sure is one of those things that goes across the business school, which is what's well, Start with Why by can't really author. Um, but that book really sort of struck a chord with me because it made me realize that you need like the, the tasks that are involved in developing Make a Medic individually, a lot of them are pretty dull. Like there'll be a case of scheduling Instagram posts or publicizing something or whatever, like writing a writing a project plan. Like all of those things individually are pretty dull. However, if you have that sort of underlying motivation in mind at all times about how what we're doing is taking a step closer towards you know having clean water for for kids at a secondary school in Kenya or improving maternal health outcomes in Sierra Leone that that really does motivate you a lot more so I always think about that like since I read that book I always constantly think every single day when I send off this email it's taking me a step closer to to the next thing and I feel like our ethos is quite well established now and all of the Make Medic team are very driven to achieving the goals that we lay out for us. I think it's Simon Sinek, right? That's right, yeah, yeah, that's the one. <laughs> yeah, it's one of my favorite books. Um, <laughs> I think it's really important to also get your employees to read it, especially when you work in the startup environment and there's exactly. a mix of glamorous and non-glamorous jobs involved. Absolutely, yeah. So you talked about your ethos. Can you kind of expand, share a little bit what that is and what some of the projects you've been working on? Sure. So, so the ethos, if I had to put it in sort of one or two sentences, um, is basically that we want to try and improve medical education or some sort of public health outcomes in low and middle income countries, because uh, it's one of those things that I feel like as as medical students in a, in, a, in, in, in a Western country in the UK, we are pretty privileged in many ways. We get a lot of good resources, a lot of good teaching. And we don't have to worry about a lot of the things that med students elsewhere have to worry about. And, and it made me realize that medicine is such a universal thing, really, because, I mean, I'll be, you know, sat learning about, I don't know, something like the blood brain barrier or something in a lecture somewhere in London. And then someone may be learning exactly the same thing in a lecture hall, literally anywhere else in the world. So it's, it's all the human body doesn't doesn't really change wherever you go in the world. So. It made me realize that it's quite a quite a leveler. Like we, we all all us med students, wherever we are, will need to learn roughly the same type of stuff. Um, however, how easily we can do that does vary depending on where we are. So that's where the initial um, enthusiasm for trying to facilitate meded initiatives in low middle income countries came from. And then the other aspect, I think, it was sort of inspired a little bit by COVID as well, is just the importance of public health and public health promotion um, in low and middle income countries and in, in those places there's loads of quite small initiatives that can be done to bring fairly profound 
socioeconomic benefits in the long run. Uh, so one thing I try to like stick with in terms of choosing projects as well is to try and have a um, sort of scientific approach to it, like an effective altruism type approach to it, because there are some charitable initiatives which look pretty good for social media. Like it can look really, really glam when you post on social media, loads of people will share it and they'll get a spike in our engagements. However, it doesn't necessarily benefit the people who are meant to benefit from your charitable initiatives. So with all of our projects, we've got a project manager, Syra, who looks into all of this stuff, really researches it thoroughly and tries to ensure that it has some sort of evidence base to what we're doing. So for example, our most recent project that we completed um, was building a 75,000 litre rainwater catchment tank and some sort of hand washing facilities and ventilated latrines at a secondary school in Kenya. And the reason we chose that, it's not particularly glamorous like building a tank and some toilets. However, the reason we chose it is because that school had been suffering from quite high rates of waterborne diarrheal infections basically amongst the students. And that in turn leads to increased rates of absence from school, which affect their education in the long run and has a sort of domino effect really going forward. So that small intervention of just having a clean water facility, something we all take for granted here in the UK, um, can actually have a knock-on effect, which can hopefully improve their chances of you know completing their education and getting getting further in life. Um, so that's um, so that's one example of a project we've done that's pretty public health focused. One which is more um, meded related is that we provided uh, 200 um, um, 3D printed stethoscopes to med students in Kenya and Zambia. And an example of one which is sort of a hybrid of MedEd and public health is um, the training of six Ugandan primary medical students in vaccine delivery and health promotion in Uganda. So that's the sort of vibe that we're going for is that we want to either benefit med students or empower them to have a positive impact on their wider community, or we want to try and tackle some sort of public health issue. That really truly sounds very incredible. Um, Really inspiring stuff. How do you actually go about that in a, on a practical level, like when you want to deliver the stethoscopes or if you want to um, work with the with the team in Kenya? Like, do you physically go there? Do you have like liaisons on the ground? Do you use local delivery companies or sure. how does that work? Sure. So uh, the, the good thing is that there's um, there's lots of other like amongst the uh, one thing I've noticed is amongst the sort of nonprofit organizations, there's a lot of camaraderie, really. Um, because you're not because it's all non-profit no one's really trying to one-up each other they're actually trying to just achieve their achieve their goals in their domains and so there's been plenty of opportunities of partnerships so basically all of it has been been done via partnerships with another organization who have the infrastructure in place to you know build a tank in in Kenya or whatever um so it's it's largely been done through dealing with other organizations ha- maintaining relationships with them making sure that our our, our, our vision is sort of aligned, really. Um, so that's that's how it's worked thus far. But actually, rather excitingly, um, I'm getting to the second of my foundation years um, as a junior doctor. And next year, I'm going to take a year out of training. Uh, for the first half, I'll just be sort of working somewhere in London. But the second half, um, I'm actually going with Syra, who's our project manager, to East Africa. And we're trying to actually set up um, some sort of clinic, really, like an outreach clinic where we can work there for a month or so to provide some basic uh, healthcare uh, for the people in the community. Because I thought it'd be quite nice for us to you know, use our own expertise and do something a bit more hands-on than just um, working with a- another group. Um, so that's that's an exciting thing that we've got planned. And we're hoping that we can basically get some other projects teed up where we can actually be there to see it being 
um, being sort of enacted and, and materialized. Um, so yeah, so, so the short answer to your question is mostly through partnerships, but next year, hopefully we'll be able to do a bit more ourselves. That sounds like it'll be an absolutely amazing experience. <laughs> so you've got like a, um, a real range of projects, but something else you also do is the grassroots initiative. So can you tell us a little bit more about that and why it's really important to support medical students from the very, very beginning of their journey? Of course, yeah. So grassroots is something that sort of came about in the last, I'd say about 18 months or so. And it, it's another one of those things that just sort of happened just quite serendipitously based on a conversation that I was having with my two housemates. And so those two, they went to sixth form together, um, but one of them had been a state, in a state school up until sixth form. And he just randomly made the point that the reason, or one of the main reasons that he switched school from a state school to a private school for sixth form was just because they advertised the career support that was available at this private school. And then they were both discussing the, the, the way that the career support actually materialized. And it turned out it, 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 was, it was a lab technician or someone who just read through all the sort of online, you know, widely available online stuff about medical applications, which theoretically anyone can do, and was just a responsible adult who can basically provide some sort of structure and guidance, not particularly spe specialized guidance, really. It's just based on the publicly available, uh, available documents and things. Um, but that was basically all it did, basically. That, that was all that a private school's careers coordinator did for medical applicants. And then we just thought to ourselves, you know what, we've been through the med medical application process ourselves, um, even though it probably has changed a little bit since our time. Um, we, it's quite easy for us to just, you know, read up on it, get quizzed up on it and provide that, you know, adult support really and direction to help students who don't have the privilege of having like an in-house careers coordinator uh, to get through their medical application process. Because it's one of those things that they get a bit, they probably get a bit spooked by it before they get to sixth form because they keep on hearing that it's not something that people at their schools apply for. Um, there's no one to ask questions from and, and it becomes quite a uphill climb really. And we just thought that it's something that we could level a little bit by just providing a little bit of advice and having and, and giving them the opportunity to chat to doctors, really. Doctors and medical students get a better idea of what we actually do and what life is like. Um, so that's where the sort of initial idea came from. And the other thing was also on, on a more personal level, to be honest, is that like I'd, I've, I've had a pretty, pretty comfortable upbringing, really, all thanks to my parents just working very hard before I came along. Um, so I went to private school and got a private education. I went to Imperial and everything, and then it was all... Uh, pretty pretty easy for me. I didn't really have much adversity. It's not like a rags to riches story by any means. And it made me realize that that obviously isn't the case for the vast majority of school kids in the UK. I remember reading a stat that like 93% of UK school children are at a state school, whereas like I don't know what percentage are, are uh, represented in, in, in universities, especially Russell Group and Med School and things like that. Um, so it made me realize that if, if I had it this easy so far, I want to try and invest whatever time I have in the platform that I've, that I've been given to try and improve things for people who haven't had that, had that sort of luck really in life. Um, so that's where the sort of motivation for grassroots came from. And the, the main thing really that we do differently from other widening participation initiatives is that because we are a charity, uh, we do sort of med ed and global health initiatives in developing countries. We actually have the opportunity, we, we can give students the opportunity to work with us, basically, because it's all well and good us going to 
a state school somewhere in the UK and telling them, you know what, you need experience of teamwork, leadership, volunteering. See you later. Good luck with your application. And that's what I think a lot of widening participation initiatives do. Like the mentorship and everything is great and the advice is fantastic, but they don't necessarily have a means of achieving those things because they may not have the contacts and time and things like that. So what we are trying to set up actually this summer is essentially like a, like a package deal for students at non-fee paying state schools where we can say, you know what, this is how you apply to med school. You need to get evidence of teamwork, leadership, volunteering, and you can do this by creating your own satellite maker medic committee at your school with whoever wants to apply to medicine, assign roles, be your own bosses, and then create some fundraisers. Here's a bunch of resources you can use to you know, decorate places, do bake sales, whatever. Um, and the money raised can go towards our projects in developing countries. And that will give, that will basically tick so many of the boxes required to apply to medicine. So that's, that was one idea that I had really in terms of how grassroots can manifest and how it can be different from any other widening participation initiative thus far. And we've, we've had one school who were very engaged and they, they raised like 200 something pounds from a, from a donut sale or something. And that was fantastic. So we're trying to roll that out to as many schools as possible, just to give students the opportunity to actually tick those boxes and feel like, you know what, I'm making some steps towards improving my chances of getting into medical school. It's like you're a cross between DOV and Young Enterprise Fund with a focus <laughs> on medicine. That's exactly, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to borrow that for my LinkedIn post. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's really, that's really amazing. It sounds like you've got so many future ideas and ways to keep growing on what you've already built, but kind of, do you have any defined future goals for Make a Medic? Um, yeah. So in fact, we've, um, so sort of behind the scenes over the last, God, I don't know how long it's been actually, maybe about the 14 to 16 months or so, um, I've been developing essentially like an online resource bank because uh, whilst I was a medical school I made sort of notes on one note or whatever I shared it amongst whoever needed it basically and it, it sort of um, it sort of gathered some momentum and loads of kids across the med school were, were using it by the end um, so I wanted to try and create my own resource bank online where you can have notes you can have thousands of of exam style single best answer questions you can have loads of video tutorials and integrate it together. I've got a few sort of ideas in terms of how it's going to be integrated together in a way that is quite novel because the benefit of doing it at the end of med school is that you've had six years of just basically critically appraising all the different resources that you have used yourself. So I sort of engineered my vision of like the perfect medical resource, online medical resource. So that's something that we're hoping to launch in August-ish, so just before the next academic year. Um, and we're hoping that once that has been launched and provided the uptake is good, um, we'll have quite a lot more funds to play with, really. Because at the moment, we're still relatively um, relatively small scale, um, operating at about 10 to 15,000 pounds a year. However, once we release this, um, this website and we gain some traction across the UK, perhaps even across the world, um, we will then be in a position to basically we'll have more money available to be able to launch ever more expansive projects as well. Um, so that's one thing that I'm really looking forward to. Um, the second is something that we actually launched recently related to the point I made about how we all have to learn, all the medical students across the world have to learn the same stuff in very different settings. Um, and there's a few sort of areas, in, I mean, there's plenty of conflicts across the world, but there's five areas in particular which are listed as major world conflict zones, which um, I think is technically defined as more than 10,000 casualties in the last 12 months. And those are, if I remember off the top of my head, 
uh, Ukraine, Afghanistan, Myanmar, Yemen, and Ethiopia. Um, so we actually recently launched a, a Students Affected by Conflict scheme, where these students basically apply to this scheme. They get free access to all of our resources to try and mitigate against the disruptions that they've faced in their medical education as a result of all these conflicts. Uh, because rather, sort of, it's a bit of a catch-22, really, because they are probably going to be incredibly important in the country going forwards, given that they are medics, their country's in a time of crisis. However, their training has been very, very disrupted as a result of the conflict. So that's something that I'm hoping will, will help them. And we've had almost 600 students sign up and be enrolled thus far, and we're hoping that continues to grow. Um, so I'd say those are two of the main things that we're looking forward to with Make Medic going forwards. That sounds really amazing, especially the conflict programme. That's uh, <laughs> really special. Um, and with your kind of resource bank that you mentioned, how did you decide to kind of package that up? Are you going for a subscription model? How's that going to work? Sure. So this is, a, this is something that's a very good question. And to be totally honest, I focus mainly on just getting the content together because I, I've realized by now that my expertise is very much in just the content generation and it's people like Vikas and my finance, the, the finance guy Anjit, who help actually make sense of, of pricing schemes and stuff because I, I'm pretty I, I'm, I'm pretty terrible with that stuff to be honest. I don't really understand how it works. Um, so that's it's going to be subscription based for sure. Um, and I'm also going to make sure that the that the pricing is, is always always like pretty pretty affordable to be honest because I I feel like there's a lot of organizations who prey on the insecurities of medical students to try and basically just basically get as much money out of them as possible. And I've seen some hideous um, companies that charge like, you know, upwards of 500 pounds for like a brief interview course or something like that. Like it's completely and utterly, I, I personally think it's unethical. And, um, and I'm, I want to make sure that there's no student in the UK who feels like the price of our resources is a barrier that will prevent them from actually getting it. So I, I, I want to make sure I keep it low enough that basically anyone can access it at any time and make a subscription base so you don't have to keep you know, um, buying various different products and add-ons and things like that. Because even though I want to try and raise as much, much money as possible to enact these projects we have lined up in various parts of the world, I don't want that to come at the cost of the students here in the UK. And irrespective of how much our brand grows and how much demand there is, um, the actual ability of a med student to pay won't have changed like that's not going to change, have changed at all so i have no intentions of inflating my prices more and more and it's a bit of a privilege being a non-profit as well to be totally honest because i don't have like shareholders knocking on my door and asking for updates and things like that so a, everything i've generated i've generated myself and any value by any sort of funds or any, any money that i get any income i get as a result is all a bonus really so that's that's my plan going forward and do you have any plans to have any of your modules or courses certified by any like regulatory bodies or academic institutions? That's a good question. So it's um, it's sort of a work in progress, really. We do sort of work with various uh, different organisations involved with medicine, more on a sort of sponsorship level. So things like the British Medical Association, um, Medical Protection Society, like all kinds of other organisations. Um, for medical students, it's a bit weird because the accreditation doesn't really matter a huge amount. So when it comes to postgraduate courses and things like that, then it matters much more because um, students need to be able to, um, sorry, the, the people attending the courses need to be able to sort of you 
know, validate that they've gone to a legitimate course that's been accredited, it's been recognized by some sort of governing body. So to be honest, that's not something that's really on our radar at the moment as, as something to focus on. However, I do feel that as Make a Medic expands, there is scope for us to uh, provide resources for postgrad exams as well, because I mean, I've been going through them myself. So, um, so it's something that I, I've kept at the back of my mind, but I want to try and focus on the immediate goals ahead uh, without sort of daydreaming too far ahead. That sounds very sensible. So we started talking about you and I want to end talking about you a little bit more. So you mentioned you feel lucky that, you know, because you're a nonprofit, that gives you more flexibility, but you're obviously doing this whilst working as a doctor as well. So how are you balancing both hats? Um, to be honest, I, th- I think it's just, it's, it's, it like, if I, if I described the way that I do it, it probably sounds like an absolute nightmare for most people because it, like I just try and fit it in wherever I can and realistically I mean I get I get enough days off and stuff when I can can work on these things and um, like like for example for example yesterday um, this isn't representative of every day but like I, I was um, on an ITU shift at Hammersmith from uh, 8 till 8am to 9pm and unfortunately I live in East London that's completely self-inflicted um, and it took about an hour to get back. So I got back home at like 10 ish. Um, and then I just like ate some food. And then I was probably up till about 1.30 ish, just doing some make a medic admin type stuff. And that, that sounds horrific. That sounds like I'm running myself into the ground. But I, I had a day off today, so I could sleep in for as long as I liked. And it also meant that I could, you know, I, I felt motivated. I was getting back from work and I was like, you know what, like, I need to start, start doing a few of these things for make a medic. So that, that's where the whole sort of start with why Simon Sinek thing comes into action because I don't feel tired doing make medic stuff ever because I know like every time I do something send an email uh, write a new SBA or whatever like it's always feeling like I'm progressing towards my goal uh, in the long run so that's sort of the sort of the answer really I'm I don't have any clever responses I know that there's plenty of uh, medical influences and stuff like Ali Abdal and Nasir Karma and people like that who have very sort of intricate time management systems which work superbly well. Um, I'm not quite as uh, quite as organised as they are. It tends to be more of a case of okay, what do I need to get done, and just sitting down and getting it done uh, without much complaint. So I guess the secret is just be driven by your purpose at all times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I say so. Yeah, yeah. And we mentioned a little bit earlier on. You know, there's lots of startups by medics in this field. Um, what advice would you give to any medical student thinking about starting their own company now? Sure. So I'd say, um, I'd say, first of all, I think you have to acknowledge if you're starting something, relatively large amount of the workload is going to be on you in, in the first while, really, until you can generate something and develop something that people you know, respect and, and, and want to get involved with. It's going to be quite a lot of your time really it's going to take up quite a lot of your time to to get things organized um i'd also say that that you have to have the sort of underlying motivation for it because startups are one of those things that easily lose momentum and it does require a decent amount of planning and a huge amount of motivation to actually get it going somewhere and i think you also have to be very critical of of the startup idea because there's lots of things where you can sort of just dig yourself into a hole where you think it's a where you think it's a good idea, and then you don't necessarily seek any external inputs on it, and you only ask people who are probably just going to affirm your your own sort of beliefs, really, rather than someone who you can trust to be critical about whatever you're trying to create. 
So that's another thing I'd, I'd definitely encourage is speaking to some people who have some expertise in whatever area the startup is uh, related to and would be honest enough to be like, you know what, that's a terrible idea, don't do it. Because that actually saves you a huge amount of time in the long run. There's been a couple of cases where people have reached out to me who are doing startups and stuff. And I've just been like, fourth, not the, not, the, not, the, not the most concrete of ideas, but they can be extremely passionate about that idea, if that makes sense. Um, so yeah, so I think, I think being willing to learn, being open to the, to the possibility that you haven't necessarily got it all right from the get-go is, uh, is, is very important. I think you just need to be humble from the get-go. There's a slightly weird dichotomy, really, where people think that for startups, you need to be very sure of yourself and very motivated and stuff, which is true to some extent, but you also need that humility to prevent you from just basically just going off on a tangent and just wasting a huge amount of your time. So I think, I think humility above all is, is the thing that I would um, say is, is most important for anyone who's thinking of starting, starting some sort of business venture. I think that was a really nice, succinct summary. Um, it's really important to have motivation and be driven by it, but you can't let it drive your decisions without kind of the, the thinking about if that's the right decision to make. Absolutely, exactly. Well, um, I've really enjoyed talking to you. So thank you so much for making the time. I hope this doesn't mean that you'll be up till 2.30 a.m. <laughs> in the morning. Um, but yeah, it's really great to speak to you. And we look uh, forward thank to Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Morning.